Hey, and welcome to the Tax Security Podcast, where we talk about all things technical and troubleshooting for Cisco security products. Uh, I totally forgot the original entrance to our podcast here. But that doesn't matter, because we're here. Yep. It's Friday. We're taping this episode, and it's an episode we're focusing on our virtual security products. So, um, Securing the cloud. Securing the cloud. It's going to be a good one. Um, but first, let's uh, talk about... Uh, we haven't had an episode in a couple months, unfortunately, and that's because yep. we've been really busy getting ready for some stuff coming up, like uh, Cisco Live 2013. So, Magnus, why don't you tell our listeners what we're going to be up to at Cisco Live this year in Orlando? Well, actually, uh, everybody that's in the uh, presentation room here, in the recording room, is going to be doing a presentation at Cisco Live. Um, we've got some of our folks from the uh, Securing the Cloud presentation. We have Mike and Rama. And then uh, your favorite podcast folks, Dave, Jay, and myself, are going to be doing a part of a uh, eight-hour tectorial session on the first Sunday of Cisco Live. And we're also going to be taping a live episode like we have yep. in previous two years. So, so if you are going to Cisco Live, uh, by all means, please stop by and, uh, and come see us. Yep. Okay. And for taping our podcast episode this year, we're going to be in level one of the West Hall of the Orange County Convention Center in the food court area B. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I think that means level one of the West Hall and look for the food court. And we're going to have a big banner up like we did last year. And we're going to be taping on Tuesday from 1 to 3 p.m. So we're going to be asking our listeners to come up, talk to us. We want to meet you. We do this show for you. So we want to know who you are and, and what you do. And if you have any questions for us, um, we'll have a panel there that will hopefully answer them on air so that um, we can uh, get those questions answered. And speaking of our listeners, we have had several of you write in recently to ask us questions or uh, just give us a shout-out, so we'd like to kind of say thanks. So, uh, special thanks to Ashish, Alexi, Terrence, who wrote in uh, asking us to do an episode on clustering, ASA clustering, which we're going to get to here in a few episodes, uh, Ian, Peter, Ben, Werner, Josiah, and Bill. And a special thanks to our buddy Graham. Our number one fan flew all the way over from England to come visit us and took us out to dinner. So, Graham, we thank you. You've already introduced yourself. You're Magnus. I am Magnus. Sh- should we should we say that anyone else, any of our other fans, can come and take us to dinner too? Uh, yeah. That may be a violation of some sort of Cisco policy, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> uh, Dave likes steak. Just keep that on the on the on the record. Yeah, um, well, uh, I'm doing great, uh, Jay, and it's been obviously a busy couple of months, but it's glad uh, I'm very glad to get back into sort of the podcast flow here. All right, so let's get right into it. Today we're going to be talking about virtualized security, the ASA 1000V and the VSG product line. So uh, with us today we've got Rama Darba and Mike Robertson. So Rama, how are you doing? What's new? Uh, nothing much. I'm doing pretty well. I'm getting ready for Cisco Live, like uh, we said. And uh, Mike and I have been working on a lab that we're going to be delivering on Sunday? Monday. Monday. We're going to be delivering it on Monday. It's an eight-hour lab, and uh, we're going to be going over a lot of the topics that we're going to be covering here, but actually a hands-on application. And what's the uh, session number for that? Uh, it's LTR Sec 4056. And there are a couple of seats left, so hurry up and snatch those out if yes. you're interested. It's uh, securing the cloud. It'll, As Rama said, it'll cover the... VSG, the ASA 1000V, as well as the CSR. That's right. Yeah, and it's a good lab because a lot of these um, products are uh, tough to uh, understand and grasp because they're pretty complex in terms of their technology. And they're virtual. Yeah, they're virtual. So it is for virtual. Yeah, and the great part about this lab is you get to go in and get your hands and your feet wet with uh, you know all the technologies that you may not be necessarily familiar with, right? And all the dependencies of these technologies. 
Now, uh, we also have Mike Robertson, uh, who will be uh, with Dave, Jay, and I during one of our presentations, and also Rama's. Uh, what's new, Mike? Not too much. Just busy getting ready for Cisco Live like everyone else. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. And as you may have noticed, uh, many of us here are spending a lot of time working on presentations and labs for Cisco Live. It just goes to show how much investment and time we put into this um, as tech engineers, as Cisco as a whole, because our job is really to educate and disseminate information. And so we take that to heart, and uh, we hope that all of you out there in uh, listener land will be able to come and join us at one of the many Cisco Lives around the world, uh, hopefully in Orlando, Florida, and come and say hello. But if not, if you can't come to us in Orlando, um, you know, you do have opportunities to get the content and get the information um, from our Cisco Live portal. Yep, so you can just go to www.ciscolive365.com, ciscolive365.com, and uh, register there. Uh, it's free, and you can pull down the content from uh, recent Cisco Live events, and it's a great way to catch up, uh, grab those PDF files, and, and run through them, and um, get caught up with the, the content that we presented. So with that, let's go ahead and jump in on uh, this podcast here. All right, so let's talk a little bit about why we're doing this podcast today. Obviously, uh, you know, virtualization is, is a hot topic, but uh, David, from a security standpoint, why, why is this such a, an integral part of Cisco's delivery? Well, I mean, over the last several years, uh, you know, the industry has been moving towards virtualization. I mean, with the rise of VMware, Hyper-V, and, and virtualized servers everywhere, there's a need for security, and often security is an afterthought. But today, you know, Cisco is really invested in security and bringing it to the forefront. And how do we secure these virtual environments, uh, both the connectivity from the virtual environments to the physical environment, but well as, as well as in between virtual environments? Um, and there's been a lot of effort and a lot of thought and a lot of research been put into this by Cisco. So we have several products that we're going to talk about today um, and, and solutions to these problems. Um, and some of the things that you need to know about these products is, you know, it, it's a different mindset when you think about it. So, yes, we're still securing um, the environment. We're still in securing the applications or the host. But how you manage them and how you apply security policies is a little bit different. And to think that, you know, with a click of a mouse, I can spin up a 1,000 new servers, right? A and I can spin up, say, a 100 new firewalls. Again, with a click of a mouse in a matter of seconds, it's a lot different than, you know, racking, stacking, and cabling that we used to have before. And so, you know, just that process and the thought process around, you know, how quickly these things can spin up, it's going to change how we deploy and how we um, solve business challenges. And we're going to talk about today about how, you know, we can leverage these new capabilities in this virtualized world to do really unique things, such as, you know, say there's a development project that's underway in an organization. Well, maybe they might automatically spin up a development, an entire development environment with build servers and, and uh, application servers and all this other stuff. With a click of a button, they can scale it as that group grows, and they might completely destroy it or collapse it, you know, once that project is done and it moves into a more you know, production environment. So, you know, the capabilities and, and how you go about doing the business in a virtual world, it, it, it brings forward a lot of opportunities. It also brings forth a lot of challenges, too, because, I mean, if you think about, you could have routers, switches, application servers, development servers, and firewalls all sitting in one server in a rack. And understanding just the packet flow through that is very challenging. I mean, it's it's challenging for networking people, right, that are professionals that are 
um, have foundational knowledge in networking as it, packets move around between different physical devices, to move to that virtual world, I think, is for some of us, is a challenge, right? And so getting into this virtualized mindset, um, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big jump for a lot of engineers. And so hopefully today we'll kind of uh, help, you, help you make that jump. Yeah, and, and even, you know, the next level is not just within, you know, that one rack or that one data center, but the ability to move half of those applications to a completely another different data center halfway across the country within a click of the mouse, right? And now you're going from the virtual to the physical and back to the virtual world, uh, you know, and, and understanding what that packet flow is. And so, you know, there's significant challenges. All right. I mean, I mean that, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, it definitely is a challenge for us, you know, technically. Um, obviously, when we're approaching any of these solutions, we have to understand kind of what do we need to get into, uh, you know, the virtual world or the virtual uh, security gateways, 1000V. What are some of the key dependencies that our customers need to know about before they take the plunge into deploying these technologies or using them? Yeah, Jay and Dave did a good job of talking about the, uh, the new paradigm that comes with virtualization, right? Um, back in the old days, uh, in the old days, like only two, three years ago, uh, networking just used to be devices, and all you really needed was rack space, some brackets, and cables, and boom, you got yourself a new uh, data center, a new environment. But now there's a lot of dependencies that uh, the actual physical devices <laughs> now go through, right? Now the physical devices have been virtualized, so they interact with software in a different way. And I think the easiest dependency to talk about is the virtualization OS, right? Um, all our the Cisco products use um, ESX and ESXi as the uh, uh, OS software that we run on top of. And those that basically is responsible for allocating resources to each of the uh, different services. Yeah, and uh, at the time that we're taping this, we currently support ESX 4.1 and 5.0 for VSG and ASA1000B specifically. Um, 5.1 support is coming fairly soon, so you can look out for that. And um, the Nexus 1000V just added support for Hyper-V, so I'd imagine probably that's eventually going to come for the ASA and the VSG as well. Oh, yeah, and you know the power of these uh, virtual products is the more platforms they're supported on. The, the more diverse their deployment um, uh, scope can be. And I think you touched on something important there, uh, the Nexus 1000V, right? Um, that is a solution that integrates very closely with the VSG and the ASA 1000V in particular. Uh, the Nexus 1000V solution is a requisite in order to run the VSG and the uh, ASA 1000V. Right, yeah, I mean, that's that's where you get all the benefits that Dave was talking about before. So, you know, if VMs need to move between data centers and you need all the networking and the security policies to follow that, you have to have some type of switch that uh, can be distributed across those environments. And that's where the Nexus 1000V really comes in. Uh, and that's why it's a requirement for these products. Yeah, and for you guys out there that are familiar with uh, the server virtualization um, Cisco solution set, you'll be uh, familiar with the term port profile. And that's a very common term that you're going to see over and over again when using uh, security virtual products as well as general Cisco security products. Uh, a port profile in this case, um, we're just going to refer to it as a container that holds various policies. So when you see us use that term, what you're talking about is a set of policies that can be applied to any server. And in this case, these policies can be as simple as a QoS policy or as complex as a security policy. Okay, so if I've got my application server or my, um, you know, whatever, I've got this VM, and so I spin up this VM, and it's running on, uh, I guess, VMware? Yep. And so it's, but I can connect the NIC of that VM to the Nexus 1000V virtual switch running maybe on that same 
the same device, physical hardware, right? Right. Okay, so the port profile you're saying is the policies that are applied on the Nexus 1000V to the VM. So as if it was plugged right into that physical switch, if it was a physical switch, that would be like the interface config. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's an important thing to know because the uh, it creates a very strong delineation between a network administrator's task and a server administrator's task. You're, you guys as, server, as network administrators are responsible for building and maintaining the network through which all traffic passes. So you will be building the port profiles, assigning the QoS policies, assigning the, uh, the security policies in these port profiles. The server administrator then takes the port profile and assigns it to the specific servers they want. So if they had, for example, web servers, they'll have one set of policies applied to it. And then an SMTP server will have a separate set of policies applied to it. And SQL database servers, which only talk internally, would have yet another policy applied. Right. And so it basically, like Rama said, it's just a collection of different policies. And it can be something as simple as what VLAN the virtual machine is in, or it could be something as complex as what security profile we're going to uh, check the packets from that VM against when it goes to either the VSG or the ASA1000V. Yeah. And before we get into the ASA 1000 V and VHG, there's one last thing we need to talk about. It's uh, what VNMC is. Right. That's basically, that's a really key piece because it, it's sort of uh, the central repository for all of the security management throughout the virtual data center. Um, so it's, it's Virtual Network Management Center is what VNMC stands for. And it's basically just a front-end GUI that allows you to create a lot of these policies that we're going to be talking about from a security perspective and applying them to both ASA and VSG. Um, and it also lets you have pretty granular control over uh, the entire data center structure as a whole, just from an organizational perspective, and allows you to create policies and inherit policies and share policies amongst multiple uh, devices. So it makes it really easy to um, you know, spin up new environments really, really quickly and still be able to apply those same policies across the data center. Yeah, you'll see a lot of our products, and I think one of the biggest things that people keep in mind when designing virtual solutions it has to be scalable because that's one of the biggest powerful tenants of virtualization. All right. Well, I guess, uh, you know, now's a good time to kind of roll into the first um, the first of the two products we're going to talk about today, and that's what we call VSG, which stands for Virtual Security Gateway. Um, so, Rama, what's, what's kind of the purpose of VSG in the virtual environment? What is its primary goal? So, the VSG is used to protect east-west communication, and that's a basically a fancy way and an industry way of describing um, how two VMs communicate within the same virtual environment. So essentially inter-VM communication specifically. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of our documentation makes reference to east-west, and that's essentially what it means um, between two different VMs in the same virtual environment. Exactly. And sometimes uh, this security policies are required for various different reasons. Yeah, it's a big blind spot for security admins because, like Jay was saying before, when you spin up these VMs, they're all running on the same physical hardware. So um, traditionally, the network admin or the security admin wouldn't have any visibility into traffic between those because it's never going to leave that one physical box. Um, so that's where VSG comes in because it allows you to control and restrict access between those VMs, even though they're in the same VLAN and the same subnet, without that traffic ever having to leave the box and go to some firewall somewhere in the network. Yeah, and, and just to, you know, bring that into a tangible example, right? So you could have a physical server, which has one VM, which is your backend database, another VM, which is, you know, your your web server or, or middleware database, right? A, a front end, right? Um, and, and so you want to protect those, right? You want to have protection between the core of your data and the public or um, consumer-facing side of that web interface. And so that's where you need that VM-to-VM protection. 
Yeah. So with VSG, one of the benefits is, you know, in a traditional physical environment, if you had one big subnet with a bunch of servers in it um, and you wanted to restrict traffic between those servers in the same subnet, uh, you might use something like private VLANs or, um, you know, ACLs on a switch port or something to restrict those without having to put each server in its own subnet and put a, you know, a routed firewall in between. Yeah, I guess you could use a firewall in between each one, but that would be expensive from the perspective yeah, it's hard of, to scale. It's just hard, yeah, it's just hard to scale. I mean, if you wanted to add 10 more servers and restrict how they could con- communicate with each other more than private VLAN capability, it would be tough. Right? right. And the same thing applies with virtualization because you want to take advantage of all the benefits of virtualization. You don't want to have to build different subnets and have routers in between all these different subnets for your different virtual machines. So that's where VSG really shines is that it allows you to control access between those VMs um, pretty granularly with different policies. Yeah, it's important to note that uh, VSG is exclusively managed by VNMC. So it, all the configuration and all the uh, um, policies that you generate on VN- VSG will be applied and configured through VNMC, which is a nice little front end, which lets you manage um, the rules and apply them to multiple VSGs in your environment. Yeah, and the rules are, you know, at, at their core, they're, they're basically ACLs, right? They permit and deny traffic between VMs. Um, f- that are protected by VSG, but VSG also brings a lot of um, you know benefits to the table from the virtualization side as well. Um, we support vMotion, so that security policy is always going to follow the VM no matter where it lives in the data center. Uh, and you can build rules based off you know virtual machine attributes, like the name of the virtual machine or the type of operating system that it's running, which you wouldn't be able to do with traditional ACLs or private VLANs. Yeah, because they just don't have visibility right yeah. into that part of the running OS on the machine. Yeah, exactly. And because all these um, virtual machines live in a VMware environment, such as vCenter, um, VNMC can communicate with the VMware backend and learn a lot of other traits about the virtual machines that you can't get from a physical environment. Great, great. Now, um, obviously, you know, the the challenge here is understanding how the packets actually flow through these kind of environments. Again, we're looking at virtual. There's no cables here. So if you were to take the VSG product, how does it really handle traffic, and what does that traffic flow look like if you were to try and troubleshoot or understand it? Yeah, the main thing to kind of keep in mind is that VSG isn't technically in line with the packet flow. Um, so, you know, the VMs are still in the same subnet, and they're talking amongst themselves. Um, you know, all the traffic is switched by the Nexus 1000V. The way that it works is that VSG has a sort of out-of-band um, data path to the Nexus 1000V, where the Nexus 1000V can actually redirect packets to the VSG, where the security policies can then be checked against that packet, and then a decision is made, right? So the packet's either permitted or denied. Um, Then that packet is returned back to the Nexus 1000V with that decision, which is then cached and enforced by the switch itself. So once that decision is made, the switch will then, from then on, you know, permit or deny the flows without having to send the packets back to VSG. And that uh, switch, in this case, the virtual Ethernet module, right, the VEM, will... uh, all the TCP state checking, the security checking are offloaded to it, so it's an accelerated flow at that point. You know, this does remind me very much of another one of our security products, the firewall service module, uh, which does something what sounds like very similar. You know, that first packet is handled by essentially a slower path of processing and, and security checks, and then everything is accelerated going forwards beyond that. Yeah, we basically have a fast path with the switch directly where all those packets uh, can be handled by the switch themselves, and that lets us get a pretty high connection per second rate through VSG without having to worry about throughput issues. And I think it's important to note um, how the uh, VEM deals with the actions after it's been um, obtained. So Mike went over the fact that we send the first packet of the flow up to the VSG for 
verifying the action based on the security policy, right? Um, if the action is permit, VSG forwards that packet back down along bundled in some encapsulated format with the action. Oh, this packet is permitted now. The VEM will program that into the actual um, connection table so that all subsequent packets will go through it. And then it sets a timeout for that connection so that um, you know when no more traffic is seen across that five tuple, then that connection eventually times out. And then when a new packet is seen, it's going to be sent back up to VSG again. In a deny case, only the answer is sent back down to um, the VEM from VSG, and then that deny line is put into uh, the VEM. So all subsequent packets that are denied aren't sent up to VSG. The deny is actually programmed into the VEM as well, and that just has a lower timeout than the permit. So being an attack, you know, my first question is, how do we troubleshoot this thing? I mean, you, you've explained how it's supposed to work, right? Um, but obviously there's going to be problems with uh, VSG configuration. There's going to be problems with uh, the, one th the Nexus 1000V config. So can I, do I have visibility into this stuff that's happening? How do I see, for instance, uh, can I see the connections that are programmed and accelerated down on the 1000V VEM? Yeah, definitely. There's ca you know those connection caches are maintained. There's actually two caches. One is the one that Rama talked about on the VEM itself. There's another one that VSG maintains, so that VSG doesn't have to walk the entire policy configuration for every packet. Um, if one happened to comes, if one happens to come back to VSG after it had been, uh, you know, its cache entry on the VEM cleared out. So yeah, from from the VSM, the virtual supervisor module, that's basically the you know the piece of the Nexus 1000V that controls all the configuration. From there, you can um, actually look at that cache on each of the virtual Ethernet modules and figure out what is still in that cache. And just like that, you can do the same thing on the VSG and view those entries there as well. The, uh, you know, most of the troubleshooting that we do here on the firewall team is always following the packet path, right? And this is just no different. Uh, the packet path is just a little bit more complex because, you know, it doesn't go through physical environments anymore, right? It's going through virtual Ethernet ports across uh, virtual links. But it's essentially the same, right? Um, verify that the packet is received inbound on the VEM from the VM. Verify that it's being forwarded up to the VSG. Verify the VSG is applying the correct action. And then verify that the VEM is being programmed with the correct action. You just look at them in different places. Yeah, and a lot of the same stuff that you're used to in the physical world still applies here. You still look at MAC address tables on the switch to see where a packet's going to get forwarded. Um, you still look at ARP caches and things like that. You can look at, you know, syslogs on the VSG to see, uh, you know, when packets are received or what action is taken on them. You can look at hit counts on the different policy rules and see, um, you know, which packets are hitting which rules. So a lot of the same stuff carries over. But there are some challenges. Um, we've seen deployments of uh, VSG across... What, like eight or nine VEMs in uh, a very deep, detailed, multi-tenant setup. And it can be very daunting to look at, you know, a, a, a hundred VMs and then try and find out where one packet is being lost, right? So that's where you have to use a mix and combination of all these features. You can't just rely on one of them. You're going to look at the policy hits if it's obvious, but if you have multiple VMs using the same policy, you can't just look at policy hits. It's like looking at, you know, interface counters to find out why one packet is lost. You know, it's very complicated. So instead, you have to then dig down a little bit deeper and drill down to the actual connection and then maybe into the syslogs to find the IP addresses of the traffic that's not specifically working, right? So obviously, the tool that fits the job still applies here. Okay, so that's that's VSG, and just to remind our listeners, so VSG is a security product you're going to use to secure communication between two VMs that are in the same virtualized environment, um, and that's all. That's 
it cannot be used to secure traffic between a VM and it's like an upstream device, like layer three routing device. Is that right? It can actually. Um, it's not really what it's designed for. It, it shines better with VM to VM communication, but for really basic, um, you know, what would be called like north south communication, um, you know, traffic out of the box, you still have to permit that traffic there. So it can do some basic filtering for, you know, upstream uh, devices as well. Uh, well, I think it's a good time now to kind of move on to the next of the virtual security product deliverables we have here, which is the ASA 1000V, uh, the virtual ASA. Uh, and most of our listeners, I hope, have ASAs in their environment, so you should be very familiar with how ASAs work. Um, but uh, I think there's going to be something a little bit different with how the uh, 1000V works and how you want to deploy that. Uh, so, Mike, tell me a little bit about how customers would use a 1000V versus, say, the VSG. Yeah, the the big difference between the ASA 1000V and VSG is that the ASA is going to really act as your edge security device for that virtual environment. And there's a reason that you'll see in VNMC that they call them edge firewalls. Um, it's, you know, going back to the east-west analogy, this is the north-south version of that protection. It's going to protect traffic inbound to your virtual uh, machines and traffic outbound from those virtual machines as well. But it also brings in a lot of the core ASA functionality that you're used to, like NAT and, and application inspection and stuff like that. Yeah, and like Mike was saying, there's a big difference between the VSG and the ASA 1000V. The ASA 1000V sits in line with all the traffic. It's responsible for actually packet processing of all traffic. Um, it doesn't offload any of its work. So very much like a um, ASA itself, you know, a physical appliance, we do everything in the security path, in the software path. Yeah, and that's a great thing about the ASA 1000V. It just uses the ASA code, so it has all the, it's got all the same familiarity that you would have with an ASA. Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically an appliance ASA virtualized, as you would, right? But, you know, remember that it's a specific use case and a specific application of an ASA, meaning it's not a physical ASA that we put in a virtual box, if you will, and then, you know, you're going to plug in two ports to it, the inside and outside, and protect your physical hardware. No, it's designed specifically for the virtual environment, meaning the outside will be plugged in to a physical environment, but the inside must be a virtual environment only. Yeah, I think that's worth kind of stating again. You know, we get a lot of confusion about that, um, is that, you know, you, you're not going to take your physical ASA that's at your internet edge and replace it with a ASA 1000V. It's actually um, a design... Um, consideration, right? It can only handle virtual devices on the inside. Now, along with that sort of design limitation, are there some functions that people like to use on the AS, the physical ASA product line that you won't be able to do from the virtual side of the house? Yeah, um, things like dynamic routing, um, threat detection, remote access VPN. Yep. Uh, yeah. So it's it's really designed around the core ASA functionality: routing, ACLs, NAT, um, inspection. Land land to land tunnels it's it's really just the core functionality okay yep and uh so it's it does share some similarities with the vsg uh so the the first thing is that you can integrate the asa 1000v into uh vnmc management right um it actually comes in two different management modes vnmc mode is uh allows you to utilize the same tenant and organization structure that you may have used and set up for vsg so you can reuse similar policy rules set up uh, similar acls really allows you to handle the same policies that you would have used in vsg um the other mode is asdm mode uh that mode is exactly like managing an asa via command line or asdm right the drawback to that obviously is that 
you don't have the scalability anymore. If you set up one ASA in using ASDM mode, none of those policies will port over if you have to spin up another ASA. But just the familiarity of using the CLI and ASDM is going to be there. Yeah, and it's important to understand the differences as well because um, there are differences between the two management modes, and because of that, you can't switch between them. So you have to choose one at the time that you deploy that particular instance of ASA1000B, and you're locked into that unless you want to redeploy. So kind of going back to a bit of a comparison between the appliance and virtual world, obviously on our appliances we've got tons of interfaces, tons of different um, deployment styles uh, that you can do with the uh, normal ASAs. But with the 1000B, I was under the impression there's some restrictions interface-wise and to what those interfaces could be attached to. Um, uh, Rama, can you explain a little bit about how that is, you know, how that kind of works out? Sure. Uh, so with a normal ASA, right, you buy... 5510 or 5585, it comes with a fixed number of ports, right? Um, with the virtual ASA, the ASA1000V, it's no different. It's fixed into four ports when you deploy the device. It's got an outside interface, it's got an inside interface, it's got a management interface, and it's got an HA failover interface. And those roles are fixed. The outside interface can only be connected to your external world. Um, your inside interface is where all your your virtual machines will live and be protected um, from the outside world. Your management interface is used for actually connecting via SSH or VNMC to manage your ASA, and your HA interface is used to set up failover um, to ensure high availability between two ASAs. So I think that's, you know, that's, that's pretty easy for people to understand. Um, let's also break down on the inside of the ASA. You know, there's more than just the inside interface as, you know, we commonly think of it as. So Let's talk about the you know the the port profiles and the security profiles then. Yeah, so you know we we keep uh, talking about the design and the role of the ASA. You can only have VMs on the inside interface, but then what happens? If you have multiple different types of VMs on the inside. You know you could have SMTP servers, SQL servers, and uh, HTTP servers all living on the same subnet on the inside. But you want to apply different rules to them. The ASA one thousand V has a feature called security profiles. So you can design your network security profile uniquely for each logical grouping of servers. Yeah, so the inside interface is still going to act as the default gateway for each of those servers in the same subnet and the same VLAN. But by referencing those port profiles that Rama talked about earlier, you can group those virtual machines into logical groups and then apply different security profiles to each of those groups uh, on the same ASA1000B, which is different than you would typically be able to do with a physical ASA, where you can only apply uh, a certain policy to a single interface. Yeah, that's right. So on the port profile, there's going to be uh, essentially two types of config. Um, you're going to apply, you're going to turn that port profile, and you're going to say, all right, anything on this VM is going to be sent up to the ASA1000V, and then the secondary config is apply this specific policy to it. So you may have an HTTP policy, and you may have an SMTP policy, and those different things will be applied to different port profiles assigned to each of the VMs on the inside. Yeah, and apart from that, you know, even though you can only have one inside interface uh, basically protecting one subnet, that doesn't really restrict you from a scalability perspective because you can deploy as many ASA1000Vs basically as you want. All the licensing is handled by the Nexus 1000V itself. 
Um, and that's, you know, inherently done based on the number of physical CPU sockets you have. So, uh, you know, if you need uh, another ASA1000V, you just spin one up. And especially if you're in VNMC mode, you can just apply the same policies and with maybe some sw- slight tweaks um, to that new ASA very, very quickly. Yeah, and we always have questions about this, about the way the licensing works. So maybe we can go that into that a little bit more in depth, right? So you have, you say you've bought a UCS C-Series, right? Um, on the motherboard of the UCS C-Series, there's a certain number of sockets. And I'm sure all you, you know, computer nerds out there have built your own computers. So you can buy a motherboard with a number of sockets, right? And, um, and you can fill those sockets with different CPUs. And you can choose to leave some sockets open and some sockets filled, right? So assuming you take a UCSC series and you fill it with, say, four cores, what you do is you end up buying a license for the number of CPU cores you want to be able to allocate to the ASA 1000Vs that you deploy. It's actually the number of physical sockets, not the number of cores. So if you have four sockets and they're dual core processors, you might have eight, you know, ultimately eight cores, um, but you'd only need to buy four licenses since you have four physical sockets. When you deploy an ASA1000V, um, the amount of memory and the amount of cores that it's allocated is fixed upon deployment. Yeah, and we have to do that just so that we can keep the uh, experience and the performance equal across multiple platforms. You could run this on a UCS chassis. You could run it on basically any physical hardware that supports ESX. And so because those physical resources come from that physical hardware, we need to be able to control the experience from the ASA's perspective. Right, but just to clarify, the cores and the memory are allocated to it, but it's not... Uh, user configurable, meaning if you run out of perform, if you run out of performance on your ASA 1000V, you can't just throw another core or throw more memory to it. Um, the software limits that, so you're fixed at a single core and one and a half gigs of RAM on it. Right, but the nice part is that if you do run out of that those resources, all you have to do is basically just spin up another ASA. Unlike on the physical side, where you have to buy a new ASA, rack it, cable it, power it, all that stuff. Great, and and I guess now's a good time to say. You know, we've looked at the VSG. We've looked at the features of the ASA. Uh, the VSG's packet flow is is unique. Um, now, what about the ASA's packet flow? You mentioned earlier that it is in line with the traffic. How does that look like when you're trying to debug or analyze, you know, a packet leaving my VM to it getting out to the internet? Just because we're working with a virtual environment, uh, a lot of people go crazy. It's like looking at IPv6. Sometimes. I go crazy. I'll yeah. tell you that much. But you look at IPv6 and you replace dots with colons, and you know, people go crazy, and you know. Um, in the virtual environment, it's no different than normal routing. When a VM wants to send traffic out, that VM is going to be configured with a default gateway. Without an ASA1000V, that gateway is going to be some core router, right? Um, it's going to be an XS7K, a 6500, something along those lines. In With the ASA1000V deployed in your environment, it sits in line in between the core router and the VM. So the VM's default gateway is going to be the ASA's inside interface. So the, a, the VM is going to send traffic destined to the MAC address assigned to the inside interface of the ASA1000V. That's how it sits in line. The ASA gets it, looks at its routing table, forwards it outbound to your core infrastructure. There is one special caveat, though. Yeah, so internally, like Rama said, the packet will show up on the inside interface. Um, but when it shows up there, it's going to be encapsulated in a special header called a VPath header. And that uh, header is going to contain some information that's going to basically tell the ASA which security profile, if you have multiple security profiles, that the packet should be checked against. So internally inside the ASA, the packet will show up on the inside interface and then be internally kind of forwarded over to one of these security profiles uh, to be checked against the actual security policy before it egresses the outside. Yeah, and the ASA gets that VPath header by talking to the VEM. 
right? So the, uh, when you've configured this poor profile, uh, you've essentially told it what security policy that you want to have applied to this traffic. And the VEM will then tag that traffic with that special policy so that when it's sent to the ASA, the ASA knows how to handle this policy. And you've mentioned security uh, policies and paths, and, you know, a lot of our listeners are familiar with the ASA having an order of operations for its security features. Since this is an ASA, does the same logical order of operations of NAT and ACL checks still apply? Yeah, all the order of operations are completely the same. Um, Basically, once the packet is offloaded to that security profile interface, the packet path is the same as you'd be used to. Great. And I, I guess, you know, uh, whenever I'm troubleshooting an issue, uh, I love to rely on captures, packet captures. Um, is that something we can still do on this virtualized ASI? Definitely, yeah. Packet captures, packet tracer, syslogs, all the troubleshooting tools that you're used to are there. All the ones we know and love. And is it is it expanded for the virtualized environment? Meaning, can I capture on the inside interface, but just for a particular security profile? Uh, the way you do it is you'd actually, so typically on a physical ASA, if you wanted to troubleshoot the full path, you'd do a capture on the inside and a capture on the outside. Typically on the ASA 1000V, you're going to actually do three captures. You'll do one on the inside to make sure the packet gets there and it has the correct VPath header. You'll do another capture on the security profile interface itself to see the packet actually getting offloaded to the correct profile. And then you'll do a third one on the outside to make sure it egresses. And I don't know if we've explicitly said this. We make a lot of references to the security profile interface. It's when you look on the ASA command line using the output of show interface or show name if, it literally shows up as just another interface. The only part that's the trick is that the traffic arrives on the inside interface and then is processed by the security profile interface. So it's kind of a little bit weird to conceptualize that, but that's the only real difference. So one way of thinking about it is it it processes it in series, right? So a packet comes in from the physical world to the outside, ingressing the outside interface of the virtual ASA. It's processed by the ASA. It then gets sent to the security profile interface on the ASA where it egresses, and then it passes through the actual inside interface of the ASA and onto that inside VM. Yeah. When we were, uh, Mike and I were building the slides for this, uh, trying to conceptualize and provide, you know, a nice little diagram that shows this packet path, we had a little bit of a challenging time because no real world really analogy exists in, our, in the real physical network for this. So, you know, what we ended up actually coming uh, to conclusion with is the easiest way to describe it is a multiplexer, right? Um, You've got all these security profile interfaces which multiplex to the inside interface, and all your traffic basically travels across one of these security profile interfaces before it egresses the inside. Now, we've talked a lot about, you know, traffic on the inside going towards the outside. Um, Does that same security profile header or the VPath, as you mentioned, Mike, exist when you're coming from the outside in? Yeah, so the way that we choose that, um, basically packets are only going to be tagged with that header on the inside interface. Um, If they come in the outside interface, the ASA has to determine which uh, profile it's going to be checked against and then tagging it before it goes out the inside interface towards the VEM. There's two different ways that we'll do that depending on your configuration. So um, the first is just basically there's a table that's maintained uh, of of basically bindings between the IP addresses of the virtual machines and the security profiles that they should be assigned to. So the ASA will simply just walk that table and, and see if the IP address, the destination IP address of the inbound packet is in there. 
Um, the second way is if you have NAT configured. If you're translating the IP address of a VM, we'll actually use the NAT rule to determine the security profile interface. Um, and that's one of the other differences between configuration on a physical appliance versus the 1000V is that the NAT rules on a physical appliance would be built you know, inside-outside. And the secu- on the ASA 1000V, it's maybe security profile one outside. So based on that NAT rule, we can determine which security profile to tag the packet with. And uh, I think we owe it to our listeners to post some of these diagrams you guys are talking about because it, it is confusing, right? I've printed some of these out, and they were hanging in my cube. So um, check out the show notes for the page, and we'll definitely include some good diagrams these guys have cooked up to show you the packet path and, and visualize what's going on with this uh, packet forwarding. All right, so we've, we've, we've covered VSG and 1000V pretty well, troubleshooting and uh, some of the requisites and uh, understanding packet flow. Now, let's kind of wrap all of this together, and from a solution perspective, what can customers really get out of this, or what have you seen customers do that really kind of exemplifies the best ways of using these technologies? Yeah, so uh, one pretty cool example that we had a customer um, kind of involve us in recently was, you know, they have a, a pretty big virtual environment where they spin up these basically development environments. So they've got a bunch of virtual machines that have application servers and database servers and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and they basically set that up the way they want it, right? And they've got a self-contained development environment. They can put an ASA 1000V in front of that uh, and a VSG in between the VMs to restrict traffic there and basically have full security control over this. But the cool part is that they can then take that and use things like cloning in VMware and vMotion to basically duplicate that environment as a whole, move it to a different part of the data center, and all of the security policies and configuration will follow. And so basically, you know, within five minutes or so, they can spin up an entirely new environment that's pre-built and ready to go for them. Yeah, and if you think about it in, from a business standpoint, every new environment you spin up can be just be a new store, right? And you've got this like pre-packaged set of services that each store will have. And every time you spin it up, it's protected from the internet for uh, all the necessary security profiles and security settings that you needed to set up um, in the first place. Another common case that we see is when uh, customers purchase cloud storage, right, or cloud services, and they go out there and they spin up all these VMs so that they're easily accessible from the internet on the cloud. But these servers would normally just sit directly connected to the internet, which is a giant security threat. So what they ended up doing is they end up deploying virtual ASAs in front of the servers to uh, provide that security, right? Because it's a lot more feasible and it's a lot more manageable than buying a 5585, uh, packing it up, shipping it off to your cloud service provider, having them cable it and then manage it as your physical infrastructure, right? Sitting in front of these virtualized servers that you've spun up. So this way you've got one giant unified virtual management service that you can use to uh, control access to your VMs and not have these VMs vulnerable to the dangers of the internet. Yeah, and it lets you have full control over your security without having to worry about controlling any of the, you know, the physical data center. All right, great. I think those are really two great examples um, of you know how you can really utilize this technology. And uh, I'd like to thank the two of you for coming out here, recording with us, and helping our listeners understand a little bit about uh, you know the whole virtual security world. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. And I just want to reiterate: if you guys were excited by the stuff you heard today, um, feel free to sign up for our, our lab, LTRSec. 4056. It's a hands-on cloud security lab. You get to try all the stuff that we're talking about um, today out and um, learn it for yourself.
Yep, and that's uh, that's at Cisco Live. And just a, a mildly shameless plug here, Rama, I know you've got another presentation that you're doing at Cisco Live. Oh, yeah, for if you really like uh, security and can't get enough or you're just trying to get into it, um, I'm doing a 90-minute presentation on um, iOS security fundamentals, and that is uh, BreakSec 2017. And then uh, Michael, Jay, David, and myself will be doing a presentation, the 8-hour preso, uh, and that is TechSec 2020. It's about unleashing the ASA. And then Jay also has some presentations that he's doing. Yeah, we've got David and I are going to be doing uh, a hands-on troubleshooting lab LTR Sec 3021. That's Monday at 8 a.m. It's a four-hour lab, and we give you an ASA 5505 to control, and then we inject problems and network traffic, and then you have to figure out how to fix it. It's a lot of fun. And then um, we'll also be doing a hands-on NAT configuration lab. So if you're um, new to the ASA or you want to learn about uh, ASA NAT, you can take that class. That's LTR Sec 3022 at 8 a.m. on Wednesday. And then finally. Um, I'll be doing uh, troubleshooting firewalls. That's a BRK Sec 3020, and I'll be doing that Monday and Wednesday at one. Um, and that is a class all about what we in the TAC use, all the tools we use, and the things we do to troubleshoot firewall problems. Ugh. A lot of presentations. A lot of presentations. There's a lot of stuff going on at Cisco Live, and I wish everybody a lot of luck at Cisco Live. Good presentations. And last but not least, again, to remind all of our listeners, um, on the 25th from 1 to 3 p.m., we will be recording uh, a uh, tax security podcast live at Cisco Live, and that's down in the food court area. So please come see us. uh, Tell us how we're doing with our presentations, and we'll tell you what other presentations are going on that you should stop by and see. So thanks again for listening. 